Evening again, everyone. Hi. I guess people don't say good evening. Yeah. Um, really great to be back with everyone um, this evening. Uh, thank you for having us as a family through today. I just want to say to you guys, it's such a blessing um, getting the chance to spend time with um, James and Vicky and the boys this afternoon. Um, it's it's so great um, getting to spend time with um, like-minded brothers and sisters and being encouraged by them. So I uh, just want to say to you guys, continue to, I know you do, but continue to pray for them uh, and all that they're doing um, because uh, the Lord is at work uh, in what it is that they are doing. Just to give you a little bit of a, an update or a picture um, for you, if you've never met me, my name's Martin, um, and uh, my family are currently sitting through the back, uh, and Jennifer is looking after the little kids, getting them into the pyjamas, etc., but we are getting ready to leave Scotland uh, and serve in Vietnam, Lord willing, later this uh, summer. Uh, and much like Carl and Son, we hope that by July or the summertime of 2022, uh, we'll be able to leave uh, where we are based right now to be involved in ministry. Uh, and it'll be in a similar context, not the same uh, nation or same city, but in a city based at a theological education establishment in the city of Hanoi. Uh, our hope is that after a few years of language and cultural learning, we'll be able to slot in, fit in um, with this really important and essential ministry for any church uh, throughout the world, which is the, the equipping, the journeying alongside of those who will be the pastors, those who will be the evangelists, the church workers, the next generation, or sometimes even the first generation of pioneer cross-cultural missionaries themselves. Uh, we're really excited by this and really looking forward to doing it, but are also aware that it is going to be a huge challenge, uh, a lot of changes, and will come with multiple ups and downs along the way. Uh, the kids, if Jennifer was here, uh, one of the things we would invite you guys to pray for is for our kids that they would make that transition well uh, to moving out to Vietnam uh, later this year, and that in the years to come, they wouldn't turn around to their parents and say, see that God that you worship that moved us away from everything. We want to hear them say, see that God that we worship. He is good. He is glorious. And we are so grateful that you moved with what he called you to do. So would you pray that for our kids, that they would grow to know Jesus more through this transition and would not have that sort of uh, resistance that comes sometimes with moving cross-culturally. To give you a bit of a picture about what we do at present, uh, Jennifer looks after the kids and uh, right now what I do is serve the denomination. Um, I've been seconded from the organization that we serve with and that we'll be going to Asia with and I get to, to work alongside the mission board of the denomination and particularly helping to coordinate and focus on uh, some of the global ministry activity for the churches throughout Scotland that the Free Church uh, has in part of the family and getting alongside local churches like yourselves, doing things like this, advising people about what it might mean to be a sending church, how to support people well, and also to just walk alongside some people who are thinking through a cross-cultural mission and ministry um, for the future. It's an excellent time to be able to do this, and I'm so grateful to the Lord for the chance and the opportunity to serve our family of churches across Scotland in this way. Uh, in a couple of weeks' time, I'll also be um, covering for your own um, 
dear brother Daniel as he takes some time to finish up his, his PhD writing. I'm going to be covering for him at ETS. Um, so please do pray um, for me as I take up that new um, new venture and for all the, the blessed students that have got the great opportunity to learn from someone who is also learning on the job. Um, please pray for them uh, as well in that. If you want to find out any more about what we're doing at present uh, and also what we're going to do in the future, God willing, then please do just come and chat to me afterwards. Uh, I know that I have got a nice loud voice, but trust me, I'm not actually that scary. I'm like a big teddy bear sometimes, okay? Uh, happy to come and chat to you at the end. Please do get, uh, please do uh, come and speak to us. We're going to hear now from the Bible. That's far better than listening to me. So can I invite you to turn to 3 John? We'll spend some time thinking about this uh, little letter. Uh, and as you turn there, I'll pray and I'll get these up and running. Father, the call to your mission is not something we can instigate in ourselves. It is not rooted in our clever ideas or our amazing strategies, because in many ways, Father, what we think is clever and amazing ultimately before you is nothing. It comes from your heart out of a desire to see your Son made much of amongst all the peoples and languages that exist throughout your world. And as we think now about what it means for us as your people to engage in your mission, my prayer for all of us is that this, uh, these moments, this time, would be an opportunity for us to take seriously what you say to us. And our responsibility as your people, as we partner together with your people throughout the world, taking the message of Jesus to those who do not yet know his name. Do not let us leave here the same as when we came. Spirit of God, teach us from your word. For we are gathered here as your servants to listen. Amen. Now, this morning, in one sense, is the sort of, here is the vision, this is why we do what we do. God is great, God is glorious, and he deserves and demands glory from all that he has made. Uh, That's brilliant, but the first question I ask the guy at the front who says that is this. Super, how does that happen? It's great, you give me this amazing big picture. How on earth do you get to the point where these things kind of fall into place to, to, to see that great picture become a reality? That would be my question anyway. I don't know if that's your question. You're going with my question tonight. What are some of the practicalities? I think that this little letter, 3 John which we can skip over very quickly and we might not even realize is there, has actually got some really, really helpful, practical um, points for us to touch on as we begin to think through what gospel partnership looks like and our role and responsibility as the people of God in that. Now, till the coming of Christ, there will be the need for the church to globally send workers throughout the world. The global church will need to send people throughout the world to proclaim and announce the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus is clear about this. In many places throughout the gospels, he asks people um, to go and make disciples. That's the big text we all know, Matthew 28. You're to go and to make disciples of all the nations. 
He says we're to pray for laborers to be raised up and sent out into the harvest fields. And he also says, guys, do you not see that the fields are ripe to harvest? But when we are faced with challenging circumstances, which I think we are, when we are faced with these challenging circumstances, each of us in some way or other has a tendency to at a greater or lesser extent to pull back, look inward and drop off uh, the radar when it comes to the spiritual realities of life and the world in which we have been placed. Instead of focusing on what is truly important, our heads and our hearts can entertain thoughts of delusional fantasy, avenues of proud self-interest or misplaced fears, and through maybe a combination of those different things and many more, we begin to become detached from that bigger vision we thought about this morning, and it begins to suffocate and choke out that great purpose God has for his people. It's in these moments of great challenge that we need to regain our senses and recognize once again the main and the plain things of Scripture. And one of those main things is the necessity of global evangelism in a chaotic world. Making Jesus known in a world which wants to reject him and in a world which is in constant flux. Christ is to be known and loved and treasured. He is to be believed in throughout the world. But how does that happen in these sorts of challenging circumstances? Well, let's turn to this letter. Because I think there is a wonderful example in such a predicament. Because I think in here, we see genuine gospel partnership in challenging circumstances. But before we look at the specifics of this little postcard letter, we need to have some awareness of what's going on. Uh, 1 to 3 John, those letters right at the end of uh, the New Testament, these three letters are written by the wise old apostle, the wise old disciple of Jesus, uh, John. And they probably come near the end of the first century. Persecution and opposition is kind of on the upward trend at this point. There was a degree to which uh, authorities sought um, people throughout the empire to show allegiance to different forms of imperial worship. And if you did not do that, your material prosperity would have gone on a downward trajectory. This is the backdrop that you see to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And it makes sense that these are all written at roughly the same sort of time period in history. Things are not easy for believers in the Roman world at this point in time. You've also got to add into the mixer, not only have you got opposing forces on the outside, you also have challenging people on the inside. Throw this person into the mixer, Diotrephes, false teacher infiltrating the local church. It'd be fair to say that you wouldn't want to have his CV. Uh, He's not exactly the sort of person that you want to imitate, is it? I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, verse 9, who likes to put himself first does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. He seems like a great guy, doesn't he? Model yourself on him. I don't think that's what John is saying. 
If you want to get a, a real picture as to probably what is happening and the false teaching that's taking place, flick back over to 2 John chapter, uh, chapter, to verse 7. He talks about many deceivers having gone out into the world. And here is their false teaching. Those who confess the coming or those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That's the doctrine that's being put forward by some of these false teachers. Is it Diotrephes? Maybe, possibly. But it is not exactly a good thing. They don't believe that Jesus has come as a man. Which by logical extension means that they fundamentally disagree with the penalty paying substitutionary atonement of God's Messiah for the taking away of wrath from sinners and rebels against God. It's a big thing. These people ultimately are gospel haters. They do not like what is central to God's revelation of salvation. That in Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, there is atonement for sin. They take away his humanity and they take away his salvation. Make no mistake about it, John and his mission team were well aware of challenging circumstances. So the next time you feel hard pressed, the next time you think, hey, this is pretty tough, maybe turn to third John. And hear John saying to you, I hear you brother, I hear you sister, It is difficult work. But here's what he seems to do instead of what we would naturally do. Instead of turning inwards, they look upwards and outwards and they rejoice in the wonderful blessing of being involved in taking the gospel of Christ to the world. The temptation that is set before us in the midst of these challenging circumstances is the church in Scotland is to forget about the world out there And to concentrate on what is in front of us. But I think that we are on good grounds to say that John, his mission team and brother Gaius would not have allowed these things to become the constraints. They would have not taken on these blinkers so easily. They were captivated by this central vision of scripture. That big vision of God deserving and demanding to be glorified and worshipped by all that he has made. And so in this very personal letter, we get a glimpse at some of the most important aspects of genuine gospel partnership in really difficult, challenging circumstances. Now, with those things said, with those thoughts put in place, I'm going to give us another three set of headings, which will hopefully allow us to work our way through here. And really, we're going to do the first few verses, probably the first eight. That's where we're going to be spending our time picking on a couple maybe later through, but what I want us to look at is this. First of all, what is true should set the agenda. What is true sets the agenda in forming gospel partnerships. Second thing, who we send and partner with matters. Who we send and partner with matters. And how we send and partner must honour God. So those are the three things we're going to notice when we go through this. And let's crack on and press through. We see that first then, don't we? That what is true sets the agenda. Popular opinion, culturally or even theologically, should not be the defining marker of what we do. That should just never be the defining marker of what we do. What we should be doing is coming back to God's word time after time, 
and not allowing people like Diotrephes or modern day equivalents tell us this is what the big agenda is. We should be coming back to what it is that God has said, remembering what it is that God has done and accomplished in Christ Jesus and, and, and that message of the gospel rather than taking in our culture and false teaching. The gospel truth should set the agenda. Look at how John speaks about Gaius. Gaius is a brother, you see in those first few verses, who clearly is a man of truth. He loves Christ. He loves Christ's people. He loves to be a Jesus follower. He loves to be a disciple of Jesus. Their friendship, John and Gaius' friendship, is founded on the truth of the gospel. You see that in verse 1? He loves Gaius in the truth. What's more, Gaius was no charlatan. He walked what he talked. Look at verses 3 and 4. I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. And indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know, what Gaius believed, he did. He put his faith into action. He lived what he believed. And there is a very clear way that we can see this. Gaius was invested in seeing the work of the gospel among the peoples of the world flourish. How do we know this? We can see that in the way that he welcomed in John's mission team. A group of potential strangers that he may not have known And he serves them well. Why? Why would you do that? People are annoying. Do you know that? I know I am. And then these random people just turn up in the city that you're part of. And, you know, they need somewhere to stay and they need somewhere to eat. And it's a bit cold outside and they need some heat and all the rest of these things. And what does Gaius say? Oh, no, in fact, actually, if you had um, if you'd emailed ahead in order to be able to schedule when it is that you could do He didn't do that. Obviously, because emails weren't there. <laughs> he said, come on in. We'll sort you out. We'll look after you. Because you love Jesus. I'm on board with people who love Jesus. Let's do this. See that verse 7, first half of, don't you? They've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing. These people um, have come out with a specific task to tell others about Jesus. So we know that these people love Jesus. We know that Gaius clearly loves Jesus. And so they come together and they say, right, let's make this work. Gaius lived in challenging times, but his context did not distract him from ultimately what was true. People needed to hear about Christ, so he served in such a way to allow that to happen. I want us to notice a very important detail about global mission in the local church. Gaius's conviction about the truth of the gospel was the rhythm setting the agenda of his life. Not just his spare time. His life. And it led him to recognize the normality of global gospel ministry. His conviction about the truth meant that he saw global gospel ministry as a normal part of the Christian life. But all too often, there is an incorrect vision that we touched on this morning. Where you have an elite few of people set aside for a task. Or an obsessive minority of people who just get really excited about all this overseas stuff. 
Again, I want to say really clearly tonight, I don't think that's what the Bible actually teaches us. To, to be people who love Jesus Christ is to be people who love his glory, his honor, his value, his worth. Wherever we're placed, and where that is not known and true, we desire that that would be known and true. Friends, what John says about Gaius shows us this. He says Gaius is faithful. What you're doing is a faithful thing, verse 5. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers, though they are. Because Gaius loves Christ, his circumstances don't define his response. He serves freely in order that God would be glorified. Okay, so our, our circumstances could be challenging. Let me make it a little bit more encouraging for you tonight as you sit here in Edinburgh about six o'clock. What happens if they get more challenging? What happens if it becomes more difficult? What happens if there is increased opposition? What happens if things don't seem to reverse and there is an upward trend? Will we still serve? In the coming months and years, who knows where our culture will go in Scotland? If things do get more challenging and more difficult, will we be so committed to global ministry and see it as a normal part of life with all the pressures and the challenges that it brings? Will we see sending people out to other parts of Scotland for ministry as something that is just a normal aspect of a healthy church? Or will we want to keep a hold of those who are our best and our brightest because, well, we don't really want them to leave here because that would mean that we would we would find it hard. Let's not become Play-Doh in the hands of our context, allowing external pressures to force us and change us. Instead, let our convictions concerning the truth that God has laid out in his eternal word set our agenda. That until Jesus returns, the church must engage in this ministry throughout the world for his glory. Here's a question for your own reflection, your own um, time. Have you allowed the scope of God's purposes in his word to shape your understanding of his work in his world? This is the point that I would point you to brother, brother Gaius. I love guys like this in the New Testament. Gaius, a guy. We don't really know tons about him, but he's someone who loved Jesus and allowed what he knew about Jesus to shape his life. Let what is true set your agenda, and you will see each of us has a role to play in the gospel going forward, and then those partnerships, those healthy partnerships in challenging times, grow, flourish, and develop for the glory of God. Second then, who we send and partner with really matters. I mean, you could have lots of people come to you and say, I believe this is where the Lord is asking me to go to, And through a little bit of probing about this thing, that thing, or the next, it might not be the case. Who we send really matters. Who we partner with really matters. Gaius' church most likely had received suspect teachers in the past. Um, Listen to Diotrephus in the midst. 
What we know for sure is that this man, Diotrephes, is not a particularly pleasant character. He is self-absorbed, he is self-appointed, and he is a charlatan who is ruling the church by force of his overbearing personality. As we have already said, we do not want to aim to be like this guy. This is where I need to stop and make a really serious and important point. If ministry in the gospel is what it is that God is leading you to, you do not follow the pattern of this man. If you have an aspiration to be involved in ministry or leadership in Scotland or in other parts of the world, do not be like him. Because it kills gospel witness, it destroys and tears up churches, and it ultimately does not lead or point people to the living Christ. Don't be that guy. Don't follow his example. Listen up to what John does point out about a healthy gospel ministry and partnership. And I just want to point out a couple of things here. Have you noticed the importance of the church in this small letter? The church are very important in this concept of, 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 of sending, of, of being involved in partnerships. This isn't transfer deadline day with lots of free agents and people just going, oh, well, we just need to get somebody to fill this position somewhere because, well, we, we just need someone to come through the door. That's, that's not what we seem to see happening here. These brothers who were sent out by John have accountability in their church setting. They are not lone rangers going and doing whatever they feel like. Did you see that in verse 6? Let's read verse 5 through 6. Beloved, it's a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers that they are, who testified to your love before the church. So what John is painting a picture here is these brothers have gone to Gaius and they have returned to him and they have said to the church with John present that these people have done this for them. So they've not just gone out and done their own thing. They've gone out, they've done what it was they were appointed to, and they've come back to the church. They're not out doing things by themselves. This is a clear sign of accountability. They are not lone rangers. This is a ministry partnership. And especially if people are going to be serving and partnering at a distance, we need to be really clear about who it is that we are partnering with as a church. So here is what I would leave for you guys to think through, consider, and to embrace. Partner with and raise up people who love the church to serve in mission with you. Not people who want to raise up their own flag and raise up their own empire, but people who genuinely, for the zeal and glory of Jesus, would love to see his bride flourish in places where it does not exist. Raise those sorts of people up and partner with those sorts of people like Craig who has a genuine heart's desire to see Christ exalted in the borders of Scotland. Second then, did you notice their purpose? In the first century world, many of the major cities were interconnected and the people could travel there for work and study. Uh, restrictions aside, I think that's been a normal pattern of life over the past 20 to 30 years. Increased travel, increased economic connectivity, which leads to global jobs and different education options that people can access in different cities. It's been upscaled in our generation, and people who live nearby to global cities, like Edinburgh, will travel to parts of the U.S., 
or people from other parts of the world will move to somewhere like Edinburgh for the university or for their work. But that's not what you see happening here. This isn't just because these these guys are moving to another part of the world because of their work or education or something like that. What we hear is that these brothers have been sent out with a purpose. They are not moving for work or study. They have a specific role and a specific purpose. They have been sent out. They have been sent out for the sake of the name. You see that verse 7. These brothers have gone out for the sake of the name. What does that mean? Well, surely it's got something to do with announcing and proclaiming Jesus. We need to realize that this purpose can be warped by human sinfulness. People can be sent out. And in the Western church, there can exist sometimes, sadly, a savior complex which becomes justified by being sent out for the name, when in reality it becomes making a name for myself. I'm just at a distance and people can't hold me accountable and I can do what I want, I can say what I want, and no one will know any different. That is not what John has in mind here at all in this gospel partnership. And that is not how these brothers, these believers acted. These brothers didn't care about their own name. And maybe surprisingly, we are not told that they were concerned about the need which existed. You don't see that in this letter at all. They're not being concerned about the need. They have a concern about his name. The main thing which reverberates throughout scripture is not look at the need which exists out there. It is hallowed be your name among all the peoples that exist. There are a thousand and one needs that exist in the world. But if our only purpose is to go and to meet those needs which exist in God's world and not about the fame of the name of Christ, realistically we're going to burn out very quickly and possibly we may have missed the point of it altogether. This isn't about name makers or fame takers. This is about obedience For the sake of the name to be sent out for Christ's name. Much as I did a minute ago, here is something to reflect on for yourself as a church. Here is what I would long for. That you would partner with and raise up people like these brothers. Who did not care about their own fame at all. One jot, they cared about the name of Jesus Christ. Because to them, to live was Christ and to die was gain. They were willing to count the cost because they knew that treasuring Christ was more than life. Raise up and partner with people like that. Let's finish up. Because how we send, not just who we send and partner with, how we send and partner must be something which honors God. And we can see that how we send and partner must be something that honors God. And John says that really specifically, even in the challenging circumstances which he faced. What does that mean? From this letter, it seems clear to me that the churches must be working in cooperation with the mission team uh, and with the other churches that are involved. 
It is to be an outpouring of lavish generosity. An outpouring of lavish generosity. You see that, I think, in verse 6 and verse 8. They testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Skip down a verse. We ought to support people like these. They've not accepted anything from the Gentiles. That we may be fellow workers for the truth. We've already seen that first aspect. These churches were seeking to work together. They sent people backwards and forwards by the looks of it. Gaius served the brothers. The brothers served their home church. And John served Gaius. It's his dear, beloved friend that he wants to encourage in a difficult situation. They worked in union. They worked united. Oh, man, imagine the church of Jesus worked in unity. Imagine that we actually worked together in unity for the gospel of Christ to go through the world and not put up some things which become blocks and stumblers on the road. Being sent into the world for the sake of the name was not something that they did in isolation as one church. They worked in partnership and it was a beautiful way to show that interdependence which we have as the body of Jesus Christ. What's more, I would argue and love the fact that within our Presbyterian church history, this is just something that we should do naturally, normally and every day. We love to serve together as the body of Jesus Christ, where the strong help the weak and the weak love the strong because they work in partnership to see Christ glorified. We desire to serve for the gospel in Scotland and to the ends of the earth, sending out people in cooperation with each other to see God's mission become an increasing reality. And in so doing, it turns out we are blessed. We have deepened relationships. And that is something which can only be honoring to God. But we can also see that this sort of action is a responsibility for those cooperating churches. These brothers were sent out for the sake of the name. They were accepting nothing from the Gentiles, verse 7 tells us. And I think that that is another way of saying they're not taking anything from non-believers. They're not relying on those who are outside of the household of faith. And that means that each of us have been given a responsibility to come alongside such people who have been sent out and identified by the church to be involved in taking the name of Jesus to other parts of the country or other parts of the world and seeing that their need, not their want, that their need is met in order for ministry to continue. Look at what John says. We should support people like these. Verse 8. Remember John's underlying conviction. We saw that earlier. We read it, didn't we? That these, verse 6, these ones should be sent on their journey in a manner which is worthy of God. I don't know about you, but I read a statement like that and I'm like, right, well, (laughs) how does God send If we are to send people in a manner worthy of God, how is it that God sends? In some ways, reading John 3 wouldn't have been a bad thing. Because God gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. When God sends, God sends lavishly. God sends abundantly. 
God sends graciously and full of love. He sends for the good of many people. He sends for his glory to be known. This is the sort of sending and partnership that we are called to. We are not God and ultimately we can never send in that full sense. But we're to be sent in a manner which is worthy of our Father in heaven to be exalted and known. And remember, John is not saying this from an ivory tower detached from reality. He's saying this with a man who's in this church, who's a false teacher, in a context where people are opposing the spread of the gospel in the surrounding culture and context. On the backdrop of such a dark situation, filled with thoughts of self-preservation and self-fulfillment, the church of Jesus Christ in Scotland, I would argue, has the opportunity to say... We want to give everything to Christ because he is worthy of everything that I have because his glory is better than life. And so the brothers and the sisters that have been raised up by him to go to places like Galashiels, to go to places like Bangkok, to go to the north of Scotland, to go to all sorts of places, even my wonderful home city of Glasgow, we will give it all so that Christ would be worshipped and adored through the ministry God has given to those people. Friends, challenging circumstances are going to exist until the day of Christ's coming and return. To see many more peoples and places come to join in us, join with us in worshipping God, well, that is going to require our obedience to the truth. It is going to require us as the church partnering with gospel-saturated, Christ-loving disciples and having a unified desire as his people to glorify Christ in the world. And here's what my note says at the end of that, because I feel that that is a huge, huge responsibility, which I am not worthy of. Lord Jesus, make me a man like that. Make us a people like that captivated by you once again let me pray father all that we have has been given by your gracious hand And so once again, as your people, we would come to you this evening and say, please take my life. I give it to you and I pray that you would use it for whichever purpose you desire so that your son may be exalted, that a lost world may hear of his grace and of his coming. And that when I take my last breath, I will know that I have lived according to your truth, according to your purposes, joyfully giving over everything so that your son may be exalted and that I may become low. Make us people like that. 
because really we don't want to be. Help us to move away from the concept of building our own kingdoms and our own empires. And grant us the great and wonderful gift of humility to take step after step with King Jesus. Amen.